This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Friday, July 29th. Thank God. It's my son Wyatt's birthday today. Happy birthday, kiddo. B-Day, Wyatt. I heard him sitting with his cousin, Bo, who's visiting from Vancouver on the trampoline yesterday. And Bo says, your dad was talking about a lady who got stepped on by an elephant. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, that doesn't sound like the type of story that I would tell a five-year-old. And then I hear Wyatt say, yes. And then the elephant came to her funeral and tried to step on her again. What? And I went, where did you guys hear this? And Bo looked at me and says, we heard it on your podcast. And I went, oh boy, <laughs> listeners of all ages. Fake news. A shout out to the, actually is a true story. Remember we talked about that was a <laughs> wild story we talked about. Anyway, very sad story, obviously, but wild nonetheless. Listeners of all ages, those of you catching us on YouTube, those of you that are on the highway right now for this August long weekend on yeah. route to your destination and on your dash, you have the Mixler audio app streaming Real Talk. We salute you. The show feels a little bit, and you don't want to say this kind of a thing, but don't I'm going to say it anyway because it's Friday. It feels a little bit like this show is a road trip for us, and we're just, we've got everything all packed up. We've got the kids buckled in. We've got our <laughs> snacks. We've got our waters. Our coffees are ready to go. And as we make our way out of the city, we're hearing a small rattle. We're hearing a small rattle in the vehicle, and we're trying to. This is a John Forgot Hicks. To put air in the tires. This is a John Hicks appreciation <laughs> post. There's been some troubleshooting this morning, uh, but nonetheless, here we are. Supriya Devetti's going to join us in just a sec. We can't wait for the new studio. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I'm so proud, of John, of everything you do to keep this show coming at us every single day. How's your long year? You were busting your butt this long weekend. You're going to be working. You're spinning tunes. Yeah. You're keeping people happy. You're going to be at a wedding. you got a bunch of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Millwood's pool tonight, uh, 7 to 9 at the uh, Recreation Center there. Also going to be uh, doing a wedding on Saturday. And then Sunday, I'll be closing down K-Days with a couple of my friends. Oh, wow. DJ Quake and DJ CeeLo. We are the last act on the spotlight stage from 7 until 10 o'clock, and then K-Days is over. The final act of K-Days with her Johnny down. Infamous. That's great. Do you have a go-to song? What are you, you going to kick off the set oh, with? No. What, what about the wedding? What do you kick off a wedding set with? It depends. Probably Cotton Eye Joe, hey? <laughs> yeah, okay, cool, great. Yeah, Cotton, there we go. All right, happy no. wedding. Congratulations to the bride no. and groom. It hasn't been forgotten. Come on, everybody, get no. on in. No. Not so much. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get to Sapria Devetti in just a second. Wanted to let you know, of course, how proud we are to partner with the sponsors that keep this thing going. Hey, John does the troubleshooting. The sponsors make sure the lights stay on. How about that? And that includes the team at Apex Automation. They're providing intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry. They work in, like, forestry, brewing, engineering, mining, you name it. Software controls. If your business could benefit by giving people back their time... You're going to want to get in touch with Apex Automation today. Proudly based out of Edmonton, they're working literally around the world, and that means they're always looking for skilled engineers as well. If you're looking for a work situation that allows you to achieve great things, enjoy flexible hours, and participate in professional development opportunities on the regular, you're going to want to check out apexautomation.ca. 
Our friends at Kubi Energy want to remind you that the federal government has introduced this $40,000 interest-free loan Plus, there's a $5,000, what do you want to call it? It's not like a bursary. It's not like a gift, but you don't have to pay it back. What do they call that again? An incentive? 45,000 reasons to visit kubienergy.ca right now and get a free quote on what it might cost to put solar panels up on your roof. You're going to save money. It's more reliable now than ever before. Why not join the, join the movement towards sustainable energy growth in Canada by visiting kubienergy.ca and asking them about the $40,000 interest-free loan. Supriya Devetti, our good friend, joins us every Friday morning. And uh, Supriya, just because we brought you up on camera here, I thought it might be a good time to launch into our conversation, not just about the federal government and politics, but we're going to cover a bunch of ground today. Supriya Devetti is the co-host of Seriously with Supriya and Ryan, joining us live this morning from her home studio in Toronto. How you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm okay. How are you? It's been an exciting couple of weeks for you and me. Uh, Seriously, our new project out every single Wednesday, and it's been amazing to see the audience uh, connect with that. We got a tweet yesterday that I loved, a guy that said, I love real talk. He says, I try to spend as much time as I can getting up to speed on the news of the day, but it's really difficult, he says, to stay on top of it all. That's why he loves Seriously. In less than a half hour every Wednesday, he can cut through the noise of the biggest stories making news across the country. That's it. And that's what Seriously does, right? Is uh, exactly that. You've got a fire hose of news coming at you every week. I mean, we joked at the beginning of uh, this week's show that it used to be in the summer, there was a new slowdown, but um, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And so that's what you and I do. Cut through the noise, get past the headlines and uh, give folks what they need to know. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I should lead with small talk when you bring you in, because a lot of people feel like they know you and then they want to know kind of what is making you tick. And then you guys have big, long Mm -hmm. weekend plans. Uh, yeah, I mean, not super big, just a lot of family stuff. Like we're not really going anywhere. Um, this time around we last weekend, we were in the uh, Finger Lakes region in New York. So Mm. that was sort of what we, um, did instead of, you know, making long weekend plans. But, uh, my, I actually just took my daughter yesterday, uh, who's three to get vaccinated. And I know the last time, um, you and I were sort of talking about this, uh, and I don't know, I'm kind of relieved now that she's at least got one dose in her. She obviously doesn't have full protection yet. Um, but it just seems like something that I've knocked off my to-do list. That's sort of been looming at the back of my mind. Um, you know, since like March, 2020, what is she, is she three? Yeah. Yeah. She's three. three. So yeah, because you, you and I talked in, uh, I guess it was about a week ago, approximately on what, what uptake was going to be like for families with kids under five. Um, and it was forecasted that, you know, a lot of public health experts in particular think that the number could be sub 40%, which surprises me a little bit. And I wonder if that has to do more with people's summer schedules, maybe their lack of availability. Maybe they're, maybe they don't want to sit and stand in line at a health center. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it improves once September looms, once they're getting set to go back to school. Yeah, maybe it's probably a combination of a bunch of things, right? Like to your point, summer schedules do get in the way, of course. And if you're not faced with the prospect of your kid sitting in a classroom or a daycare room or whatever, um, you may be a little bit more inclined to push it off. But I think also like the public health messaging on this has been somewhat abysmal, at least in Ontario anyway. Um, So I would imagine that probably factors into it. But it was interesting in the parking lot yesterday of the clinic, the vaccine clinic, there was uh, like an F. Trudeau bumper sticker on one of the cars. And I like tensed up right away because I assumed, you know, there, there was going to be like a, a protester somewhere as I got closer to the door. But, you know, nowhere to be seen. Mm. Um, everything was fine. But it just goes to show the times that we're in that even 
um, you know, a, a bumper sticker on a car can kind of like, ugh, um, well, you know, I've felt the same way about the Canadian flag for the last year. So oh, I, find, wow. I find, you know, I mean, I yeah. like really. And there was this there was a period of time uh, where the, the Freedom Convoy was happening and the Olympic Games were happening concurrently. And I remember just observing that when you saw someone flying a Canadian flag from their car, you didn't know if they were cheering the country on or yeah. like wanting to basically blow up the federal government, uh, yeah. literally yeah. or otherwise, yeah. you know, and it was tough yeah. to know. And it's just it's just been kind of mixed feelings about all of that. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually didn't really factor in the flag stuff, but I mean, that makes sense. I, I would imagine, though, um, it's probably the the sentiment of wanting to blow up the federal government figuratively or literally um, might be a little bit more prevalent in your neck of the woods, maybe than uh, than in mine. Yeah, I've got a lot of people uh, from our home province in Alberta talking about the fact that it seems like uh, anecdotally or maybe actually. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I don't have like statistics in front of me. I don't have the spreadsheets in front of me, but Alberta seems to be lagging in that vaccine availability for kids under five. And I know that there's a lot of parents that are kind of wondering what gives with that. Right. There's there's certain things that may fall in the lap of the federal government. There's other things that are provincial health matters. And this is one of those as well, where it would appear that Canadians in some provinces and territories have uh, earlier access or maybe timely access to the vaccines for kids under five that others don't have. So this is a story that we're going to keep an eye on as well pretty interesting we have tasha Carradine coming on the show after you she's going to be joining uh azim Jawani and rick peterson we're talking about the center ice conservative movement i don't know if, if you've read much up on this sapria or if you're familiar yeah i read it. tasha's book actually big yeah. fan of tasha her yeah. and i used to work together um she's from montreal originally so her and i go go ways back um and she's great sane voice um her book is very good even if you don't necessarily agree with a whole chunk of it um, I would suggest going out and reading it if you are a fan of Canadian politics. Yeah, definitely. her book, The Right Path, How Conservatives Can Unite, Inspire, and Take Canada Forward. Uh, I'm pretty sure she was a colleague of ours, technically, or uh, yeah. at Chorus Radio for a while. I mean, she does a ton, right? National political commentator. And she's she's co-president of the Shrey campaign, isn't she still? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. she does it all. For, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, so she, she's got her hands in a lot of projects right now. And sort of the idea... Uh, the question they're asking, I guess, is is who speaks for the middle uh, when they talk about the sort of fringe elements of the discussion of federal politics? You take a look at at the, the folks on the far right and what they're demanding. And I think that you would say the Freedom Convoy could be kind of the personification or maybe the face of that. Uh, and then you look at the folks on the far left and what they're arguing for and, and what they'd like to see in politics. And it seems like there's these two factions just warring. And the majority of Canadians, at least the premise of this thought, is that the majority of Canadians fall somewhere in the middle and just aren't being represented politically. I'm expecting a good conversation in, a I don't know, 20 minutes from now. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want to, like, you know... Strong, like get ahead of because I know you are going to have this conversation, but I mean, I'd be very curious to know from their perspective um, whom in the far left is being repped at the federal hmm. level and being normalized and being welcomed with open arms uh, from progressive or left leaning parties, because I don't disagree that there are obviously fringe elements to the progressive movement. Um, that, you know, say things that are politically unfeasible or untenable or that people just don't necessarily have an appetite for. But I don't know if they're necessarily listened to um, and given a platform and a voice in the same way 
that um, you know the the the, con the freedom convoy people are, or other people like the anti-vaxxer people are um, within the elements of the conservative party. So it's it's a little bit of a, a incongruency yeah, there, no, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's definitely a fair question. You kind of get the sense that that the next federal election will be, I guess, one of two things. And, and I'm I'm totally this is actually what I'm about to say is insulting the intelligence of everybody. Uh, but, yeah. it, but it's never stopped. It's me good before. that you said that. Ahead of time. <laughs> you always want to get ahead of it. And when yeah. someone says that insult, you say, yeah, like I prefaced it. What do you want me to do? Uh, but it's basically going to be either an assessment of, of uh, you know, the prime minister, Justin Trudeau's not just his previous term, but his tenure as PM. And you wonder whether or not there is an expiry date, regardless of, of what someone's political legacy looks like. So, you know, whether it's Trudeau or somebody else leading the liberals in, that'll be the case. People will assess how that government performed, whether or not they perceive the government to be tired. Is it mm -hmm. still motivated and capable? And then you'll take a look at the results of the conservative leadership race, which will probably be Pierre Polyev. Although, as my brother said yesterday, we're, we're sitting here and he's visiting from Vancouver. We went to Henry Wisewood High School in Calgary. He's, and he, he doesn't follow politics a ton. He follows just enough to know what he needs to know. But he says, this, this, this Pierre guy. And I go, Polyev. He goes, yeah, Pierre. He goes, it's strange. He goes, you know, we went to high school together. I go, what? He goes, yeah, what? yeah. Me, yeah, he goes, he was Jeff Polyev back then. I go, huh, Jeff Polyev. But he, yeah, he was the class historian for the Henry Wisewood Class of 1997, which I thought was kind of funny, but I'll get back to it. So, so it'll be Jeff Polyev leading the conservatives most likely into this next election. It'll be people that either choose him or, or actively vote against him. And I think if he's perceived to be uh, potentially the next prime minister of Canada, people that don't want to see that happen will then decide where they allocate their vote. And it's not necessarily going to be a vote for the liberals or a vote for the NDP as opposed to a vote against that conservative, the new look party. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. Um, the one caveat or qualifier I'd put there is that I think there are a bunch of people right now that are saying that they couldn't bring themselves to vote for a conservative party that is led by Pierre. Um, and I have a sneaking suspicion that a whole lot of those folks that are making that argument currently will somehow get amnesia once the election rolls around um, and end up coming into the conservative fold one way or another, because um, partisanship is, uh, is a heck of a thing, man. And I think uh, that will ultimately um, end up prevailing, particularly if you've been, you know, somewhat dissatisfied uh, with the last few years, seven years now, I think, of, uh, of liberal government, maybe inching up towards 10 by the time an election rolls around. So yeah, I mean, a lot can happen, but I just think that people tend to overstate their unwillingness to vote for a party simply because they don't like the leader. Yeah. Uh, see an interesting uh, campaign ad from the Jean Charest camp. Uh, people can check it out by way of his Twitter, essentially calling out Pierre for not participating in the debates. And, and, and it's a pretty good ad, actually. The question is, is it enough is the social media reach of it adequate and will it make enough of a dent in Pierre's momentum? Pierre, look, we know debates aren't your strong suit. Formats can be confusing. You say things that get you into trouble. That I will fire the governor of the central bank. And really create headaches for Jenny. Isolation has done nothing. To if we're being honest, you can sometimes come off a little abrasive. We'll hear Pierre. How much? Pierre, this is not a student council. Please. How much? We get it. Making videos are way more fun. And the camera doesn't talk back or ask you follow-up questions. Well, she, she, uh... 
But since you have no policies, there aren't a lot of ways for voters to know what you're all about. I think it was Netflix had uh, a series on uh, Trotsky, actually. Besides uh, freedom. Freedom, 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 freedom. We should unite for freedom. And Bitcoin. And uh, even Twitter thinks it's not a good look. But uh, we believe in you. After all, third time's a charm, right? So tell your campaign you want to debate. It's time to free Pierre. After all, what could go wrong, right? Uh, well, <laughs> what do you think? No, no, and no. <laughs> really quickly. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, it seems like a little bit too late. Um, it is a good video that the Sharia camp did put out. Um, it's kind of funny and cheeky and, you know, um, points at the fact that Pierre uh, puts out these, like, one unidirectional videos, um, but isn't so into... Um, debate or anything where his views are going to be challenged. But I mean, he's already leading right by uh, or at least we we think it's hard to tell in these circumstances. But it, the, all of the good money is on the fact that he is leading by quite a wide margin. He had, um, you know, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper come out and endorse him just this past week. So he's got a lot going for him. And I think if you're in the Pierre camp, you kind of look at the Jean Charest ad and you think it might be cute, but I don't think it's going to make you change your strategy, particularly when now all the camps, what they should be doing is ensuring that the folks that they signed up are actually going to end up voting for for them, like for, for like for their leader and for their for their candidate. Um, so I think they're just going to eat the cost because it's like a fifty thousand dollar fine or something. The other interesting aspect of this is, you know, Leslyn Lewis has also said that she's and confirmed that she's not going to participate in the debate. So as of right now, I mean, you've only got um, Scott Aitchison, Jean Charest and uh, Roman Babber who are going to uh, go head to head on August 3rd. Um, so I'm curious as to what the dynamic would be. And I'm curious as to, you know, how many people really tune in, because if you don't have, um, you know, arguably the leader there, as well as, you know, Leslyn Lewis, who irrespective of whether or not you agree with her, um, she certainly uh, has a lot of conviction in her views and she does represent a good chunk of the base of the party. If you're advising Aitchison and Baber and, uh, to a certain degree, Lewis, um, what's your advice at this point? Like, yeah. Like well, so yeah, I mean, Roman had a very interesting video that came out a couple of weeks ago, I think, where he was basically saying, you know, um, if you like me, then put me as one, don't put me as two, because it is a ranked ballot. Right. And mm -hmm. so he was basically saying like, don't, um, give in to the fact that, uh, you're considering who may win overall. And he explained the process quite well in terms of how, uh, the candidate with the least amount of votes ends up dropping off if they don't, you know, garner, um, past a certain threshold. And and I thought it was a very direct and good, sensical, like good, sensible appeal to folks who may be considering how they should be ranking um, the, you know, the prospective leaders. And that's so I think that's interesting. And HSN, like, I mean, God love him. But I mean, I'd be very curious to know what where his headspace is at right now. I mean, he's obviously very principled um, conservative, one of the only I think the only candidate that's come out. Uh, in this race uh, to take on, uh, you know, supply management um, in this country, which is risky you know, business. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think that's interesting. I mean, I don't know what he's thinking, man. I, I He's probably just hoping that 
the folks who Pierre signed up, a good chunk of them don't actually end up materializing um, into mailing of their ballots. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting to see the uh, I don't know if you paid much attention to it, but the first debate in the the beautiful city of Medicine Hat, Alberta, they played host to the first United Conservative Party leadership debate earlier this week and uh there were some good insights and i think some of the commentators especially that kept an eye on it were were suggesting that you know daniel smith may be the front runner here although a stick tap as well to Corey hogan of the strategist i saw him yesterday put this out he says do we know if daniel smith is actually the front runner right mm. he basically says her campaign's making a lot of noise uh he says but we haven't seen access really to fundraising except for the people met their payments there's the deadline they had to make the payments so we know about that he says we don't know about memberships sold he says maybe it's just the fact that the other candidates are treating her like the front runner and i thought that's a really but that's interesting half of it, observation isn't it? of course it's more than half yeah. of it that's almost all of it yeah yeah you know yeah exactly but that, that is a good point um because we don't have real independent polling to this effect do we no i mean you, there there were some polls that came out and i think that they got buried um i believe it was i shouldn't do this stuff off the top of my head but i'm pretty sure it was a leger poll i saw that okay. it had danielle smith at 22 percent of stated support among those that were polled uh it had brian Jean like two percentage points behind at 20 and then it and then the third i think it was at 16 or 18 percent was travis taves formerly the finance minister kind of the the, the more like you might perceive as like the steady candidate like his his messaging was pretty on brand he's got he's got like the military style brush cut he's got the press jeans you know they showed the drone footage of his ranch it's all perfectly mowed like travis taves is the guy that's like if you put me in charge of the ranch everything will function how it should he's like we we released a balanced budget there's no need to blow it all up that's kind of his campaign so you had those three candidates like within the same ballpark ish uh, I thought the most interesting part of it, I, I thought that that some of the other candidates, in, in particular Rebecca Schultz, maybe Leela here might pull a little bit more strongly, but to see Brian Jean and Daniel Smith running essentially neck to neck, but then, Sapria, here's the kicker, it was just a couple of days or maybe even 24 hours after those polling results came out that Danielle did her interview with the naturopath and started talking about yep. preventing the, you know, within your control to, to influence or impact the first three stages of cancer, and then people flip their lids for obvious reasons and then that polling almost was you know how that goes that stuff evaporates into the ether they did but i think it was jason markasoff uh now over at the cbc who pointed out that didn't she get another or at least two other um, again i shouldn't be doing this off the top of my head i'm going by memory um but uh more caucus support from the from the ucp maybe i but taves is running away with the caucus support though okay, okay. yeah yeah he's the, he's got more caucus support than anybody else i think combined um and, and if one of the camps wants to prove me wrong on that they can hit me up on twitter but but that's the, the impression that i have so anyway interesting stuff to see but the point that i wanted to make was was that even through that debate it's it's quite clear at least to me and i don't think i was the only one that noticed that a lot of these candidates may know that they're not going to run away as the number one they're not they're not going to be that one that gets like but but if you can be like Baber's saying here and i'm not suggesting that he's going to i, I don't think roman Baber will finish second or win the leadership but that's fine i don't have an axe to grind with him per se uh you know you want to be number two or number three on everybody's lists if you're the yeah. second choice on everybody's list you're going to win the thing no problem I mean, that's how the ballot rank ballot works 
I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to do the I mean, math in my head right now. Yeah, I guess. Unless like, you know, every, there's enough people putting Pierre number one that actually puts him oh, yeah, right meant, off the top on yeah. first ballot. Yeah, yeah. no, I meant to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm muddying the waters by talking UCP and CPC at the same time. But but we'll see how that all plays out. Let me ask you this before we run out of time. I know your Friday mornings are busy and we sure appreciate Sapria Devetti joining us every Friday morning in this time slot. The star reporting Elizabeth May. You knew we were going to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set, to, <laughs> set to, and I'm not laughing. It's Elizabeth May set to join the Green uh, Party leadership uh, races. She stepped down in 2019, but remains one of the party's two members in the House of Commons. Your thoughts? Ah, uh, I mean, it's just like, is it a comeback if she never really went away? Insert a joke about the Greens recycling here. You know what I mean? Uh, Where's Lisa Raitt when you need her to pull her off the stage? Like the jokes kind of write themselves in terms of this. Uh, that, you know, Lisa Raitt joke is in reference to the, uh, I think it was like 2015, the parliamentary press gallery dinner where oh, everybody uh, knows. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just in case. <laughs> yeah, everybody in case remembers. Forgot. Yeah. Um, but look, I think this, what this really shows is the fact that the the game was stacked against Anime Paul from the jump, right? Yeah. And all of the allegations and the rumors and whispers that her camp was, um, you know, kind of being demolished from inside, like the calls are coming from inside the house, right? Like that was all true. And the level of disrespect that was shown to enemy um, by, you know, the executive of the Green Party, I think is, it was unprecedented, you know, like muting her mic during a, a conference call, like all of the leaks that they um, sort of let out and um, just the, the, the racism and anti-Semitism that she, um, you know, experienced throughout that entire ordeal was just, just such a, a, a bad, like mark on, on Canadian politics. And, um, it's unfortunate that Elizabeth May, I think is, you know, set to re-enter the leadership race because you can't have a party that is so you know, centric on just one person and the green movement um, in this country should be a broad based coalition of folks um, that care about the environment and that want to put, you know, green policies um, to the forefront of the agenda. And unfortunately, what we're left with instead is a personality cult um, revolving around one person who doesn't seem to understand when it's time to just let go. And she said, you know, in 20, like that 2019 was going to be her, her last uh, election as leader. And I think she said something along the lines of that. She had promised her, her daughter that she wasn't going to, um, you know, do this again as leader. And I'm very curious to know how she uh, broached that subject with her daughter uh, this time around, um, or if she did. And, you know, it's also worth noting that she's, uh, the star is reporting that it won't just be Liz May running as leader. It's going to be like this co-leader type situation, um, which I know isn't super common, like in federal politics, but at least on the, in Quebec in like Quebec Solidaire has that sort of model. And they've, you know, have been doing that for some time. Um, but uh, it's just, it's like, take a cue, man. Like it's time to go. Like, I, just, like just, yeah. Yeah. This Jonathan Pedno fellow. Yeah. I don't know much about him. A former human. I mean, neither do I. I'm yeah. referencing stars reporting here, a former human rights worker uh, who says also intends to run for a leader. So that she's going to pitch herself as a co-leader. Um, which is interesting. Like, are you co-leader if like nobody knows who the other guy is and everybody knows who you are and the party is like essentially your party that, you know, is in your mold? Is, yeah. Are you really co-leader? Like, what is that Jonathan guy going to be able to to do if, you know, it, this is Liz May's party? Yeah. 
yeah, it just kind of it's 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 just like yeah, just kind of feels like a, I don't know. I can't. I I I don't want to sit and. Why did I even? Why was I even about to say I don't want to punch down? Like, what am I? What am I? I'm an independent party. I'm not punching down on a federal political party. But it just <laughs> like that's you know. But you get what I'm saying. I just yeah. I can't even. And and you talked about the coalition and the, the folks that are eco conscious and things like that. But but also a party like the Green Party does attract some of the more wackadoodle friends. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. There are like hard right wingers in yeah. the Green Party, and I, I think people that expect the whole like sort of like the drum circle on the Mm-mm. beach, you know, at, at McKenna and Maui, you know, everybody's nude, banging on drums and, and smoking reefer. Like that's not necessarily the Green Party. There's a lot of angst and anger and sort of weird kind of anti-conspiratorial type thinking. A lot of the anti-vax stuff. Whenever yeah. you look at polling, it's always like PPC, CPC, and then GPC, like, all, yeah. you know, um, yeah. always within leading that pack. So, yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of stuff to sort of sort out um, amongst their ranks. And again, like, do you do that with the leader that you've had for, you know, over a decade? Or do you do that by trying to get new members into the party, by trying to, you know, seek out somebody new and fresh who's going to lead the party in a new direction, bring more people into the fold, put the environment on the, uh, you know, like I said, on, on the forefront of the agenda and really criticize rightfully where the current government has been lacking in terms of, you know, substantive and urgent climate action. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I don't know if we knew ahead of right now whether or not Elizabeth May was even going to seek re-election in, in the Sandwich Gulf Islands riding. So now we at least know that, right? I don't think you're running for the leadership if you're not seeking re-election. So at least we know that makes it interesting. She'll she'll probably run away with it as she has uh, every other time she's sought office. So it remains to be seen. My friend, I will see you bright and early Wednesday morning. Alex yeah. was asking on the comments, it is, is uh, seriously going to be on YouTube? And it sure is. Uh, but this episode's not this week. We got to tweak it. We got to figure it out. We learned a tough lesson. It's my fault about copyright violations. We ran, <laughs> no. we, we ran a clip that we were not permitted to run, and, and believe it or not, it did not make it past YouTube's gatekeeper. And so we got our uh, we got our wrist slapped by the, by YouTube. But that's okay. We want to play nice with YouTube, so we'll get that uploaded there. You can subscribe to Seriously Supriya and Ryan on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to everybody who checks it out either on Wednesday or whether else where wherever else it fits into your week. Supriya Devetti, always a pleasure, my friend. Talk soon, Ryan. Talk to you later. Enjoy your long weekend. Uh, We'll get into our Real Talk Roundtable, our Friday Roundtable in just a second. Tasha Karadim, Azim Jawani, and Rick Peterson. Who speaks for the middle anymore? What does the future of conservative politics in Canada look like? We welcome your comments live on YouTube. You can hit us up using our hashtag. That's RealTalkRJ. And of course, you know that's powered by our friends at Park Power that want to remind you, if you're not doing business with Park Power, you're probably paying too much. It's as simple as that. You can compare rates right now. Why not? This is a two-minute exercise that could save you money every single month. Electricity, natural gas, and internet. They do all three, and you can bundle them together to save on administrative costs. We hear from people all the time, real talkers, literally every month that reach out and say, I finally switched to Park Power. It took me 10 minutes, all in, and I have no idea why I didn't do it before. And we just go, yeah, well... Welcome aboard. 2022-RealTalk is the promo code to get $70 knocked off your first bill. Our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge are expecting a busy weekend as, of course, folks from across the province and even outside Alberta visit the dealerships to see their inventory in person. Why? Because it's the most extensive inventory in the province across two dealerships, whether you're looking for a Jeep, 
a beautiful vehicle out of that Dodge lineup, the Challenger, the Charger, you name it. And then, of course, the Ram 1500, Motor Trends, back-to-back-to-back truck of the year, including that TRX, an absolutely beautiful rig. You can shop online, too, if you'd rather do that, including their pre-owned selection at SherwoodDodge.com and StAlbertDodge.com. Athabasca University wants to remind you that this is a perfect time for you to check out opportunities. Maybe your next step could be at Athabasca University. You're going, it's the end of July. We're heading into the August long weekend. Well, that's the point. Athabasca U is Canada's online university, which means you learn at your own pace. You learn at your own schedule. You're never going to miss an exam. You're never going to miss submitting an assignment because the kids were sick or because you wanted to go to the water slides, or because your pal asked you last minute to go play a round of golf. The world-class accredited online programs and courses offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. And our friends at Friesen Brothers have asked us to share with you an announcement that they made yesterday in relation to that Valbella Gourmet Foods controversy. You remember this, that nasty email, that horrific email that was sent to organizers of Canmore Pride. We talked about it a bit on the show. Well, Friesen Brothers has been carrying Valbella sausages for a long time. They've got 16 locations across the province. Announcing yesterday with immediate effect, Friesen Brothers has suspended their business relationship with Valbella Gourmet Foods until they're confident that the company's demonstrated Friesen Brothers' core values and fulfilled their commitment to change. You can find Friesen Brothers online at Friesen.com. Well, coming up on August 11th, it's my pleasure to participate in a gathering, a conference organized by Center Ice Conservatives, a voice for mainstream Canadians. We're going to be talking about the future of conservative politics in the country. We're going to be examining the so-called middle ground. We're going to be asking who speaks for the average Canadians these days. This thing is being organized by a group of people that are passionate about not just politics, but how they play out into everyday life. That includes Tasha Carradine, past president of the Progressive Conservative Youth Foundation. You've, of course, heard her on national radio and have likely read her columns. She's a national columnist for Post Media. She's a principal with Navigator Limited. She's the author of The Right Path, How Conservatives Can Unite, Inspire, and Take Canada Forward. And she's the co-president of the Jean Charest campaign. We're also joined today by Azim Jawani, who's co-founder and executive director of Center Ice Conservatives, also is the director of communication for the Ellis Ross BC Liberal Leadership Campaign, and my friend Rick Peterson, also the co-founder of Center Ice Conservatives. He's the founder and chair of Peterson Capital. Thanks to the three of you for making yourselves available for this Real Talk Roundtable. Tasha, congratulations on the new book. Following you on Twitter, it seems like you've been hitting bookstores across the country, signing copies and talking to people about the right path forward for Canada's Conservatives. You've obviously planted your flag with a candidate in the leadership race. Bring us up to speed on where you think the Conservative Party needs to go to make an impact in the next federal election. Well, thanks so much, Ryan. Um, there's uh, where to start. There's so much to do. This race, of course, will be decided by the membership, but the book was never about who should win the race. It was about where the party should take the country. And so the lessons I'm trying to impart uh, are based on research and talking to hundreds of conservatives across the country. And they all point in the direction of the center right, where there's a big vacuum. The liberals have kindly left us uh, by 
you know, having their little friends with benefits deal with the NDP. So uh, there's a real appetite right now among what I would call both center-right conservatives, uh, blue liberal switch voters, and common sense Canadians who are looking for an alternative to the current government that is fiscally responsible, that uh, wants to create a culture of opportunity, um, that also is, you know, not subscribing to a lot of the identity politics and woke politics that we're seeing uh, Mr. Trudeau and his, uh, his colleagues subscribe to. And really, I talk about three voter bases, new Canadians, urban and suburban Canadians, and young people. And it's a path how the Conservatives can get those votes uh, the next election and in the future. We'll dig into some of those points that you just made, your, your so-called introductory comments. But let's meet our other two panelists this morning. Rick, I know that you have been passionate about this movement. You're no stranger to leadership campaigns. You've participated before as a candidate. How did center ice Conservatives come about? Thanks, Ryan. It was uh, Michael Stewart and I here in Edmonton and and uh, a couple others just over time have said, you know what, there is a big opening in the center of the political spectrum that we think uh, is underrepresented, um, whether it's conservatives or liberals or whatever party you're at. Mm. Large number of Canadians, Ryan, I think if you ask them, where do you, are you, are you fiscally conservative and, 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 you know, what used to be called progressive on the social side is mainstream now, right? LGBTQ, women's rights, First Nations reconciliation, the themes that Tash has ta talked to. Um, but the noise is all coming from the, uh, from the fringes. And uh, we want to become what Dominique Cardi, uh, chair of our advisory council, is radical, noisy centrists. And I think we're doing a good job. I, I want to dig into this, and uh, and Azim, we'll, we'll throw this one to you to take on first. But I'd love all three panelists because I had the same. I had a question. I very rarely write questions down, my friends. I like I like to just. I told you in my email yesterday. I said we'll just open the gates and let's just start talking. But I did write down the question: Is there such thing as a progressive conservative anymore? Azim, you think? Absolutely, yeah. I think there's a lot of conservatives throughout Canada who are progressive on social issues, um, who have friends and family in the LGBTQ plus community, um, who, you know, see basic social services, stuff like healthcare as foundational to our Canada society and the Canadian promise, um, and who want those systems and services to be robust and to work for a long time. And I think that's what a progressive conservative is. I think um, it's balancing out the values of free market and equal opportunity and, um, you know, the ability to get ahead by working hard with um, the idea of having some sort of a community and, and one that accepts everybody in Canada. And I do think that that is a, a relatively mainstream view. I mean, if you look at Tim Houston's government, uh, he has the highest approval ratings right now of any premier in Canada. Um, and it's because he's done such a great job of focusing on, yes, the economy, absolutely, but also on making sure those key services are robust and where they're not trying to fix them so that we can have a stronger economy and a stronger Canada. Tasha, you, you identified three groups that, that if you're uh, not if you're a, you are a political strategist, but for political strategists, you may want to look at and you'd say we need to reach the young people. That's obvious. Right. We need to, to win in the urban centers. That's obvious. Uh, new Canadians. I mean, that's typically been a, a targeted voter base by politicians through the years and, and some to great success. So let me ask you this. With no offense to Rick. But the question is for you, Tasha, is it a mistake to call the movement center ice conservatives? Are we trying to reach as many people as possible? Shouldn't it just be called the center ice? Well, I think it's based in conservative principles, and those principles are uh, appealing if they are presented in their true form. And I emphasize that 
to the groups that I've talked about. So I'm a, I'm a very proud conservative because conservatism um, was begun as a, a response actually to unbridled populism. It was begun as a way to try and craft a balance between rights and responsibilities, the individual and the community. Um, it's founded in pillars such as, well, the, the sort of trifecta people talk about, faith, family, and free enterprise. Um, the faith being respect for faith. In fact, Edmund Burke respected all religions as far back as 1789. Uh, you know, he's the founder of conservatism and he talked about the merits of all faiths and the right to have your own uh, belief, whatever it is. Uh, family is something that you mentioned, New Canadians that I talked about, uh, extremely important to them um, as a value. Uh, free enterprise is something that we need more of in this country. I think that conservatism actually is presented in the way it actually is, as opposed to sort of the impressions people have of it due to what's happened in the United States and other places, I think it'd be very appealing. So I think centerized conservatives really sums up what we're about. Rick, have you picked a horse in the leadership race or, or are, you, are you talking on the record about that? We, we, we know who Tasha is supporting and we'll talk about that in just a second. But what about you? Well, I got two names on my ballot, but we have on our on our team, Ryan, we have uh, people that support all five candidates. But will you let me come back to Tasha? Buddy, you can see you, you can you can talk about whatever you want. We want to just open up the floor. Yeah, let, let, let's treat it like we're having coffees. You're on to something here, man. You're on to something. The reason we call it center-raised conservatives is for all the reasons that you talked about. And you know what? We're conservative. One of the surprising things is, as you know, Azim and I are getting, Tasha as well, she's already getting tons of emails. I get emails and calls every day from liberals. And I get calls from liberals who feel a little bit alienated with the wokeism and the uh, drift towards the NDP. And there's a debate inside our movement, Ryan, that, you know, should we call ourselves centerized Canadians? We're not hiding the fact that we're conservatives. And Tash is exactly right. The conservative principles that we all follow underline where we're going. But interesting, Ryan, is that something called centerized conservatives is drawing attention mm. and support from people like Christy Clark, who are going to come and speak to us. You know, Christy Clark, her party's name is liberal, but she actually had a coalition of liberal and conservatives. So we're on to something here, Ryan. We're on to something that we had no idea was as powerful and strong as it is. And um, as usual, you pick it up ahead of everybody else. Okay. Well, I wanted to let you know, by the way, as well, we, we were hoping to speak with former Premier Clark yesterday on the show. This is this was a real-life issue we ran into, John, wasn't it? And that's just that she's going to have a great long weekend at her cabin, and we couldn't get the Wi-Fi strong enough. And so, <laughs> oh, like, so, so I know. Uh, but, but, like, if you can't understand that and roll with it in late July, you've got no business doing a talk show. And so I, this is right. a great opportunity to let everybody, everybody know that Christy Clark's going to join us on TV. Tuesday on the show, and we're really looking forward to, to right. talking to her. Um, uh, Azim, uh, Ellis Ross wanted to be BC's premier. Uh, I've spoken with him several times. Uh, he's He is a proud Indigenous man who has spoken strongly, for example, this is one example, I'm not characterizing his whole political career, but he has strongly supported Indigenous involvement in, investment in, ownership of pipelines. And I know that has earned him some support on some fronts and, 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 and has you know certainly earned him some consternation or some criticism uh, from other Indigenous communities. Sharon, uh, one of our beloved, loyal, regular listeners, is chimed in and she says as an indigenous woman she says conservative policies have always made me uneasy how does somebody like ellis ross fitting into the conservative mold uh, operate in the sense of maybe changing perceptions that people might have about the party uh, how do you feel about sharon's comment can you take it on you were his director of communications i, I didn't think i still was but all right um, no i said you were ellis 
No, I, I know. I'm just, uh, just cracking wise for you, right? Oh. All right. So, I mean, like, look, Ellis, um, Ellis is a really, really unique politician. I think he's one of a kind. Um, I don't think he fits the usual mold just because of his upbringing and his background coming from, um, you know, real humble beginnings on his first nation and, um, coming to understand the importance of resource development, the importance of uh, building up our economy, um, and the, you know, ability of people to find dignity from work, frankly, that, that was, that's something that's key to him is, uh, the fact that when you create opportunities for people in Canada, um, whether it's BC or whether it's in any other province, you give them the opportunity to lift themselves up. Um, and not everybody can do that. And we do need um, social services to help out those who can't. But uh, I think somebody like Ellis more than most understands um, that principle of, uh, of, of hard work and opportunity and the fact that you give people the ability to provide for themselves, to provide for their families, that comes with a sort of a dignity and a sense of purpose. Um, and I think that's a key conservative value. It always has been. Um, but moreover, I, I don't think it's inherently right wing. I don't think it's inherently left wing. I think when we talk about center ice conservatism, centrist conservatism, what we're talking about is that, you know, the idea of, uh, of hard work, of building community, of building economy um, and of growing the country. And uh, at our Let's Grow Together, uh, Let's Grow Canada conference, these are exactly the kind of ideas that we're going to be talking about. Uh, on August 11th. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. People can check out centericeconservatives.ca. A friend of mine said, "What sort of th- where, where do you think the conversations are going to go on that day? And I said, I have no idea, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, there are going to be people that have some very real questions about the entire premise. Uh, Tasha, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I've, I've typically said to people, I used to describe myself as a small P, small C, progressive conservative until progressives told me to fuck off and conservatives told me to fuck <laughs> off. And then I realized I had to come up with a new phrase. And so and so I, I guess I'm a centrist. I like to think of myself as a common sense, empathetic human being that tries to have a pretty good understanding of the role that government should play, that recognizes that there are the marginalized and downtrodden there are those that have been systemically oppressed that need to be supported and there are also people that drive the nation's economy that also need to be supported by their government and to try to find that happy balance i don't think that it's impossible but you all three of you i guarantee have heard the same thing i've heard and that is that it is impossible to be fiscally conservative and socially progressive People say because a fiscal conservative must inherently try to clamp down on government spending on social programs. They say that it's an impossible marriage. I'd love for all three of you to take this on. Tasha, why don't you go first? I don't think it's impossible at all. In fact, I think that um, the conservative ethos is very much that you should be able to live your your life and be who you are um, as long as you're not infringing on the liberties of someone else. And this is why, you know, law and order is also a big part of conservatism, which we haven't really talked about much, but it is a, you know, a sense that you need a, a functioning justice system and respect by everyone for rules and norms of certain kinds so that you can actually coexist peacefully to your point and respect those, those freedoms and those rights that people have. So it's this balancing act. And I think that, you know, socially, I, I talk about this in the right path, we have issues in this country um, that social conservatives, yes, some are concerned about. Uh, abortion, I'll put it out there, is, is a big one. Um, but you know, Stephen Harper had it right when he said, okay, we're closing the door on that one. We are not revisiting it. We can do other things on the social conservative spectrum to discuss issues in education, for example, uh, sort of the interest-based politics and wokeism in education. A big concern I've heard from a lot of young conservatives, especially at the university level, but also lower down, 
that's an issue that's of concern to, I say all Canadians, a lot of common sense Canadians, social conservatives. There's issues like that that we can make common ground on. Um, but the fiscally responsible piece is something that really I think is the glue. It's the sense, not just about money, but the government doesn't tell you, uh, doesn't run everything and trying to refashion society in its own image. We leave a lot of government and space to local decision-making in a conservative universe. That's something we don't talk about enough either. People need to have control at the ground level as opposed to being controlled from 30,000 feet. And conservatives would do that. That is that is one of the principles of, of the, the worldview, if you will, and would be of a conservative government. Rick? How do you, you're a business guy. You're the chair of Peterson Capital. We talked about that. You're a money guy. Uh, how, do you, how, do, how do you reconcile that? Or how do you respond to people that say you can't be exactly what you say you are, which is fiscally conservative and socially progressive? Great intro, Ryan, because the only way to be socially progressive is to be smart with your money, fiscally conservative, right? Private sector, and, and Ryan, there's no better example than here in Alberta. Alberta is leading Canada and the world in the energy transition, ESG. So if you look at the private sector, every single company in Canada, every single, and, and Edmonton, Edmonton is the undiscovered secret, Jespo, of early stage hydrogen, lithium, helium entrepreneurs, and the public companies who are out there creating jobs, creating wealth, paying taxes. You know what the number one issue that they have is? What do you think is at the top of their line before it's the bottom line? What's the one issue that is a red button issue. Come on, Jespo, I want you to guess this one. Oh, what do you geez. think is top priority for the CEO of these upstart, young, growing, wealth-generating, job-creating companies? What is it? Well, I don't know, Rick, or I'd be the CEO of a million-dollar, billion-dollar company. How do I? I don't know. I'm a, I, I, I want to say profits, but that sounds like it. That's not what you're getting at. That's an ugly answer. I don't That's know. That's right. You know what it is, Ryan? It's ESG, okay. Environmental, Social, and Governance Standards, right? If you don't meet proper environmental, social, and governance standards, if you're falling behind in your indigenous representation, if you're falling behind in gender equality, if you're falling behind in LGBTQ representation, if you're falling behind in environmental standards, you will not get capital, you'll not get growth, you will not get support. So in our Canadian economy, it's the private sector that's way ahead of the government. The private sector that's way ahead of where the Trudeau Liberals are trying to tell people, this is where you go, this is what you do, right? So to back up Tasha's points and to back up uh, Azim's points is there are more fiscal conservatives who are socially progressive in the private sector. They just don't feel attached to any one of these liberals of the two major parties or um, tags of the two major parties right now. So you got to be fiscally conservative to be socially progressive. So Azim, you know, you're executive director of Center Ice Conservative, so you're going to get this question from a lot of people. And from some folks, it's going to be their very first question to you. And that is, are you trying to start a new political party? Uh, what's the deal here? Is there, is there room on the political spectrum? Is there room on the landscape for a new party? So we're not trying to start a new political party. That is absolutely not the goal of center-right conservatives. As to whether there's room on the political spectrum, ultimately over the long term, that's going to be up to Canadians. But what we're doing right now is trying to build a coalition of like-minded people who have common sense, who believe that we've got to balance budgets, we've got to look after the economy, and we've got to make sure that there's great jobs for Canadians, and at the same time, who understand that, look, a woman's right to choose, LGBTQ plus issues, those are issues that have been resolved a really long time ago in the minds of most Canadians. And we've got to move past those kind of divisive issues, the cultural cleavages that come from uh, cheap populism, and focus on the issues that matter. Because 
ultimately in this country, we're doing great. It's a G7 country, one of the best in the world. I think the best country in the world. But we have serious issues that need uh, that need to be dealt with. I mean, our healthcare system over the long run, there's got to be some sort of uh, some sort of a comeuppance here because it's not sustainable. We've seen through the COVID-19 crisis um, that the lack of long-term uh, care beds, that the lack of uh, ER beds, that's all weighing on the system heavily. We've got nurses who um, are extremely burnt out. Uh, it's an epidemic across the country. We can't find enough healthcare workers. And that's just one component of one system. There are, you know, there are big issues in this country in terms of government and in terms of governance that need common sense sensible solutions that need pragmatic ideas uh, injected into these systems so we can take control for the long term and make sure that this country is prosperous and sustainable for a very long time. Mm. I just dropped into our live chat on YouTube and there's there's more than one audience member that's curious to know how the three of you or at least those that are using or invoking the phrase might uh, describe wokeism or what qualifies someone's perspective as woke. Uh, Some people are taking it as a slur. Uh, and, and I think that it is used uh, in a dismissive fashion, like many other words. Um, how would you describe wokeism, or when does someone or something qualify as woke? I'll, I'll jump in, because why not? Um, I think it's, it's something I've written about um, a lot. It, it, wokeism reminds me a lot of the political correctness movement of the 1980s, and um, the definitions vary. It has become a slur. Originally, it was someone who was aware of these issues and sort of twigged to the fact that, you know, some of the concerns that Rick was talking about have not been adequately addressed in society and is open minded and says, hey, you know, I, I believe that uh, we should have rights, equal rights for all this kind of thing. But it's actually gone further than that because it is now it, it's seen as um, a way of shutting down conversation um, of, of um, you know, there's the whole pronoun debate about if you, if you misgender someone or mispronoun someone that you are suddenly taken to the woodshed and, and beaten senseless. Um, you know, people make mistakes and there's there's no room in wokeism for mistakes. That's the problem. It's it's, it's very black and white. It's very either or. You're either, a, a, you know, a friend of the LGBTQ community or you're an enemy. And there's, there's it, it is something that is so, um, by using identity politics, it's trying to define people in such a harsh way that many people feel they, they can't even speak or say anything because they will be accused of being racist or anti-gay. And it's, it's very hard to have any conversation if that happens. And, and the university students, like I said, I spoke to for the book, many of them came to conservatism because of this. They said, I couldn't say anything in class. People, you know, people were afraid of having conversations about subjects that you know, were important to them because anything you said could be taken the wrong way. And it's that feeling of discomfort I think a lot of people feel that, they, that makes them uncomfortable and says, you know, this, this has to stop. We have to be able to have conversation and actual dialogue or else these issues will actually never, you know, fully actually be resolved uh, to people's satisfaction. Azim, Rick, did you want to chime in on that? Yeah, I do want to follow up on this. Uh, just to follow exactly where Tasha has come from is, is we are a safe place for those discussions, right? We're providing a place where you can have discussions where, you know, if you look, I don't know if you can see, Ryan, uh, I've got my uh, pronouns on my uh, Zoom screen. And the, only, and the reason I do that is to show people uh, who are talking to me and uh, inside Peterson Capital is that we are open and recognize all different genders. And we do this in a way that's welcoming and open, but we don't beat, we don't beat people over the head with it, right? And I think that's an important part. And I'm gonna skate back, just so, to use a hockey phrase. You know what, there is room for another political party right now in Canada. There is, there is, there is an amazing opening. I mean, I'm in the business of looking at markets and 
things that are opportunity. There is an enormous opportunity in the center of the kit. Now, who's going to take it? Who's going to take it? Is it going to be the Conservative Party? Is it going to be the Liberal Party? Is it going to be somebody else? Just before I sent you last night at 11 o'clock when I couldn't sleep because of the heat, I saw on CNN, did you see that? A new movement in the U.S. has just started. It's called Forward. And for the same dialogue that we have here, Republicans, Democrats are seen to be too extreme. In France, you got a president who just won a second term from the center. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, Ryan, you know what? We have no interest here. Trying to start a party is just like, an, it's a gone thing. Hang, on hang, on, hang on. No, so no, you, no, 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 so, no, so Azim says we are not starting a new, but you say, not, not and then you say, no, there's tons of room for a new party, but we're not going to come on. Both could be true, Ryan. Both yeah, well, be I, true. I hope what Rick is saying, what Rick is saying, and I think I understand what Rick is saying, is that there's a space for a party to occupy that spot. Who's going to take it? The liberals have shifted off to the left over here. We can't even see them anymore. That's the left. Uh, but the conservatives can occupy that space. It doesn't mean creating a new party. I, I, in my book, I'm very clear about that too. I'm like, that is not a good idea from a logistical standpoint. It's always worked against the conservatives historically, Mm. but there's a space for an existing party to occupy and we should be there. So I think we're putting words in your mouth, but hope that's what you meant. (laughs) Follow up again, Jesper, listen to this. We've been around 90 days. We're fully financed. We've got a conference going. We got 50 emails coming every day. Like, whoa, we weren't expecting this. Where's this coming from? Where's the, you know, what's the vein that we've tapped into? Jesper, if that doesn't tell me, and, you know, all of us on this screen have been around politics a long time, I have never seen this. Well, I mean, I'll tell you that that one of the reasons why I'm participating, Rick, is uh, because I share the concern, and I don't know what I would call it, but I see it all the time. Um, As a matter of fact, it's kind of the whole bedrock upon which Real Talk is built, Uh, I fear that human beings, generally speaking, are losing the ability, or at least the loudest ones, are losing the ability to have conversations with people with whom they disagree. And I, it's just like the 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 assumptions that people make about each other, the 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 takeaways that people pull from brief interactions, oftentimes that happen out of context in 280 characters on Twitter. I've almost lost my appetite for it. But I but I have to be one of those, and I I, I suspect the three of you are there as well as as well as your lineup of panelists and as well as some people that will not attend this conference, that it is a priority. It's incredibly important for us to be able to talk about this stuff and and maybe seek to understand that premise that has defined the steps of highly effective people in past. And and so that's why I'm eager to participate myself. Obviously, when you talk about uh, where political parties move or what policy looks like, a huge part of that, Tasha, is the invigoration and the fundraising and the membership sales that come along with a leadership race. Now, you're co-president of the Sheree campaign. Um, how would you assess the importance and the implications of the outcome of this race? Well, it's it's going to be defining. That's clear. Um, and it's defining because we have competing visions for the party. And it's not even so much between social conservatism, though that is represented by uh, Leslie Lewis, for example, um, and traditional fiscal conservatism. It is really more populism versus what I would call uh, common sense conservatism uh, or the conservatism that can reach the common sense Canadian, the kind of sense stuff Centerize is talking about. Um, uh, populism is something that we've seen around the world. It's now as a trend really comes to Canada. It's grown mostly out of opposition to vaccine mandates and the restrictions people felt you know, deprived them of the so-called control over their lives. The problem I have with it is that it, it is very divisive and it pits the so-called elites against the, the common person 
Um, historically, this has played out in some very bad ways. And it's also uh, in Canadian politics, it's, you know, we've seen divisions, other parties being formed, such as the Reform Party, for example, that kept the Liberals in power for 13 years. So to me, populism is not the direction. It takes you further to the right as opposed to, to the center right. Um, but the traditional conservative stuff we talked about earlier and throughout this, this broadcast is what would inform a conservative centrist center-right conservative party. So that's where I believe, that's the vision I believe should be taken forward. Clearly there's a division in the membership on that issue, but how it plays out in the votes, it, we will know on September 10th. And the race is not, it's far from over as we are seeing in the polls, as we're seeing also uh, in terms of conversation, even on Twitter um, mm. today, some trends in Mr. Shrey's favor, so. We had, we by the way, uh, that that ad that the Shrey campaign just released is pretty bang on, pretty unbelievable. Actually, I thought it was really nice. well done. I, I, you, you have to wonder. I say this respectfully. If it's too little, too late, I don't know. Remains to be seen. The, you know, I know that you're shaking your head for people listening Only on the podcast. Eighty thousand people have sent in their votes out of six hundred and seventy-five thousand. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have to fill out those ballots. Yeah, yeah, to be sure. Uh, so. You know, I, I spoke with my colleague, uh, Supriya Devetti. You three probably know we've kicked off a podcast. We're two weeks in. Seriously, Supriya and Ryan, you can get it every Wednesday. And just a couple of days ago, our episode two discusses whether or not the conservatives are actually divided. Like everybody says, uh, Supriya makes the argument that they're not. She says the conservative party is not divided. You have to listen to the podcast if you want to hear her argument. But she did ask me to put a question in front of the three of you. I spoke with her right before we got together. And and she says this assertion that there are loud voices on the far left and the far right. And, and there's this vacuum in the middle where maybe the majority of Canadians occupy that middle ground. She wanted me to ask the three of you, who would you say is representing the loud voices on the far left? She wasn't convinced that that actually is a thing. Azim, what would you say? I mean, do you see it? I mean, um, Minister Gilbo from uh, from Justin Trudeau's government might be one person I, I would call out. I mean, some of the rhetoric around anti-resource uh, development that's historically come out of... Uh, come out of the Trudeau government, I think is pretty far left. This is a country where the economy is principally resource driven. Um, it's a country where, as Rick said, the resource sector is doing more for uh, sustainability and sustainable uh, energy development than any other country in the world, maybe. Uh, so, I mean, the idea that we're going to, uh, you know, rapidly, uh, you know, rapidly decrease our resource output, um, you know, that we're going to uh, fight mining projects, that we're going to uh, fight, um, you know, natural gas projects that we know um, are green or clean, com especially compared to uh, other projects around the world. Um, I think that's pretty radical, right? I mean, when you're, you know, when you're telling people uh, that you're going to take away jobs and opportunities um, and their ability to uh, potentially build a better future, uh, because those jobs and those opportunities should maybe be better placed elsewhere, I think that's radical. I don't think that that's a centrist, common sense position. Um, I don't think that it's right wing to think that developing uh, resources in a country with a principally resource economy uh, is the smart, sensible thing to do. Ryan, I'm going to ch uh, chime in here. There's nothing wrong with voices on the far left or the far right being loud. Go to it. They have the right to do so. The problem in the, in the middle here is we're just too quiet. We're just too, you know, we'd, uh, yeah, you know, these are issues that we agree with. We're sure everybody agrees with us, but you know what? Uh, I'm going to go for a bike ride or I'm going to go golfing or I'm going to go camping. Hey, we're getting beat by people who are really good at getting the message out, right? They're, think of one group, Ryan. Can you think of one group that kind of speaks for the middle? Is there anybody out there who you think, yeah, these, these you know, this, the answer is no. 
That's why we got a fire hose of interest coming to center right conservatives. Yeah. Well, there's one group now. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, yeah, yeah I, I don't know, and I and I guess it's like, how do you define the middle, and how do you whatever? I mean, I I try to come back to phrases that some people probably think are pithy and diluted, and and just things mm-hmm. like, I mean, what does mainstream mean? What does average mean? And and I do also like just to spell it out. Want to be so aware, uh, you know, we talk about acknowledging privilege and, you know, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, my dad was a physician. Our house was on a lake. I attended a private school. I'm white. I'm male. I'm straight. I'm a middle income earner. Like, you know, there's a lot of things where my perspective is like what the average Canadian is looking for. Uh, if you're in, an indigenous child that was, you know, taken as part of the 60s scoop and your parents were taken and their parents were taken, or if you're a new Canadian or if you're living in poverty or if you don't have access to services and opportunities like there's a you know, so I hesitate and I try to be aware of that in, in, in talking about what the average Canadian wants, because my perspective is mine and only mine. And we try to use this show to glean other perspectives from across the country and even beyond. But I do think that when you talk about so-called common sense, uh, what I'm curious to know is like, we'll see something, for example, fly up or flare up on social media, right? Something becomes like the big story of the week on social media. And then I'll walk my dogs down the sidewalk and interact with a hundred people on Edmonton's beautiful Victoria promenade overlooking the golf course or down the sidewalks of the streets. And I realized that none of these people are furious and, 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 and throwing things at each other and calling each other names. These are just people that are trying to make their way through their lives and have their kids. If they have kids, <laughs> I want to even be careful and obvious, you know, aware of that, but like they want to leave the planet. They want to leave the reality better than them when they entered planet earth, you know? And I think that there is that, I hope, or assume is a shared value of most people that we want to leave the place better than when we showed up. And so I try to have that drive my philosophies or at least even my, my explorations through conversations like these. Right. You know, none of us have any control where we come from, where our parents were, where we're born into, but what we do have control over is what we do and what we say. And the interesting thing about centerized conservatives is Tasha and Azim and the eight or 10 of us that started this said, hey, let's just put it out there. And you know what? We don't have concrete definitions of everything. There's just this feeling, Ryan, that we're on the right path, that we're going somewhere where there's a lot of interest and commonality, right? Now we have on our advisory council, by the way, Peter Kent just joined us this morning. Very oh, wow. Highly respected name. But we have an advisory council, uh, Brian Brulot, who's a strong Pierre Paulette supporter. Brian Brulot. Uh, is a very well-known uh, person in Ottawa. He threw his hat in the leadership ring for the Conservatives a couple of years ago on the first round. And why would Brian Berlot be attracted to center-right Conservatives or Cameron Bonesso? Both are from Ottawa. The idea is, no matter what Pierre Paulerb is talking about or any one of the five candidates that are still in the race, elements of what they are talking about are of interest to mainstream Canadians. Other elements, perhaps a little less. So, if Brian Berlot is with us, Ryan, it's because he wants to make sure that those elements that we have a commonality in are expressed in if Mr. Polyev becomes the leader in his leadership. And for me, I would be disappointed if we didn't have voices that were different inside our team. So this is kind of an interesting platform that we have because we're just kind of building it. But everybody's coming together and everybody's saying to us, hey, I feel like I'm part of that. So you don't need to define it and you don't have to be embarrassed by who you are from where you come and where you live, but it's important that you articulate 
and you raise your voice and you make your concerns known because if not, the fringes are going to make all the noise and the fringes are going to dominate. Interesting, Tasha, I didn't know. Only 80,000 votes are coming back. If it's 100,000, 100,000 people are going to be determining the next official leader of the opposition. Wow. Wow. We have to make sure that among those 100,000 votes that come back, there are people who speak for the mainstream Canadians. Well, and Rick, how many votes do you uh, think it's going to be people determining the next premier of Alberta? Way fewer than that. But Tasha, yeah. I didn't mean to step on your toes. No, I was going to say we have to get out the vote. All the campaigns have to get out their vote. It's really important that it's not just 80,000 people who've already voted um, that mm -hmm. decide, and it won't be. And this is the, you know, the important thing to go forward. And to, to the point of your sidewalk conversations, it's really interesting because, yes, people make a lot of noise in social media. The average person is not on Twitter. Uh, in fact, it's a preserve mostly for the chattering class, I will say, of journalists and activists and politicos. Um, but, you know, just to give an example from, from my, my hometown, my adopted hometown of Toronto, um, the TDSB, the Toronto School Commission, decided they were going to change the way that specialty schools in the, in the city accept students. They were previously accepted on merit and you had to compete uh, to get into an art school or a science school. Um, and now they changed it. It's going to be a lottery. Why? Just a lottery. The reason they're doing this is they say, well, you've got some of the folks you're, you're talking about who didn't have every chance in life um, from minority backgrounds, new Canadians, et cetera, that aren't represented adequately. So what they're going to do is they're going to change the whole system, but in a way that basically, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't recognize the fact that in fact, from those communities, ironically, more kids will go to university, more kids will try harder in school than kids, parents who were born here. And it doesn't also improve the access to education across the board so that those kids can better compete to get into those specialized schools. And when my daughter, you know, um, found out that the art school that is near where we live, that she has dreamed of going to since she's in grade one, um, is now a question of a lottery. She cried. She said, I've been working so hard, mommy. I've been like doing my art online and I've been trying, you know, it's a sense of unfairness. This is woke politics. This is what minority you know, groups of people who decide that this is a better way to achieve an outcome versus having a full conversation about how do we achieve that outcome? A conservative would say, let's raise the bar for everybody, not simply say, well, we're just going to make it a, you know, a, a system that doesn't recognize any excellence because excellence itself can't be good. This is what people are frustrated about, about the left. They're equally frustrated also on the right. So we're saying, no, the average person looks at this and goes, it's not fair. It's this kind of fairness. And that is restoring fairness and equality of opportunity to the conversation, I think, is a big part of what centerized conservatives and center voters are about. They're looking for things that make sense to them and are not dictated by ideology or just whims. So again, this conference, Centerized Conservatives, a voice for mainstream Canadians, goes August 11th. People can check it out online at centericedconservatives.ca on the roundtables. Uh, as I'm thanking the three of you for your time, for your availability, and wishing you a good August long weekend. I always like to ask if there's anything that we've left unaddressed. Is there one thing that when we end this call, you're going to go, I wish we would have talked about that. I guess I'm asking for a closing statement of sorts. Azim, you want to take this one first? Sure. So... Folks, if you're watching this and you're interested in attending Edmonton August 11th, we've only got 20 tickets left. So I think that's something important to mention. If you if you want to come, it's it's almost sold out. So if you're watching today, please come on, sign up. We're really looking forward to seeing you there. And by the way, it's going to be a nuanced conversation. It's going to be a nuanced debate. I think nuance is one of the things that we've really been missing in our political discourse in Canada. And it's one of the things that Center Ice is bringing back to the table. 
So please, folks, we, we hope we're going to see you there on August 11th. All right. I guarantee when the podcast drops, you're going to sell those 20 tickets. Rick, you want to go next? Well, there's actually 14. I just got the report online here. Well, there you morning. go. So there's only 14 tickets, just both $75 a piece. Okay. And I got to tell you, this is going to be the highlight in Canada for a policy conference. Just but we got you talking about diversity, equality, and inclusion, not only in federal, but provincial politics. Chief Billy Moran is going to be there. We've got David Stables going to be here locally. Uh, Azim's flying in from Vancouver. Christy Clark. Andrew Coyne is going to be coming out. Jack Mintz. Hey, where do you get a lineup like that? Every single person has come. They paid their own way. They're paying their own hotel to sit in a hotel room in Edmonton in the middle of summer for seven hours talking policy. Well, that yeah, tells Edmonton you in the middle of summer is the best right place in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Tasha, last word to you. Um, well, I would just say I'm I'm incredibly thrilled to be part of this group and going to a conference as well and sitting in that hotel room because I think that um, you know Canada's future is worth giving up a Sunday uh, in August um, and uh, really you know, debating the issues that are on, on the, the radar of so many people, but they're, that are not exactly, rep- that are not represented. So we have to give representation to those center-right conservatives, those center-right voters who are looking for a real alternative to government. Otherwise, we won't have a democracy. You know, this is the reality. It's not just about the conservative party. It's about a functional democracy with a choice for voters, a real choice that could form government. And I really believe that the party has to go down this road if it's going to be that potential alternative to the liberals uh, in the next election. All right. I'm looking forward to moderating some of those conversations. Uh, It's been a great opportunity to chat with the three of you today to push people outside their comfort zones, to get people thinking, to to get people more engaged in what's happening around them. I think that's a fabulous thing. That's Tasha Carradine. Uh, Make sure you check out Tasha's new book. You'll find it online, therightpathbook.com. And again, Azim Jawani, Rick Peterson with Centerized Conservatives. You can find them online as well, centerizedconservatives.ca. 14, did you say 14 tickets left, Rick? Appreciate it. Yeah. To the three of you, have a great long weekend. We'll see you on August 11th. Thanks, Jespo. Yeah, you bet. Bye. Uh, thanks to the audience that's been either watching this or listening to it live. Those of you that will catch it later, we, we welcome your comments. I uh, <laughs> love this from Jillian, although I uh, I think I've lost her comment now. But she said something like, I'm going to start, uh, Jillian's going to start a new movement, Conservatives for Wokeism. And she's going to see who shows up on that one. <laughs> so I think that would be great. Yeah, the word woke, it's like a real uh, it really like if I hate it, if, if it's it's kind of like uh, it's a pretty heavy. It, it gets a lot of people. It gets it gets some people going, yeah, yeah, woke. And then it gets other people defensive and it gets people ticked off. And it, I think that word has gained a lot of impact. The right. word has gained a lot of punch power that it didn't have even just a, a few years ago. It's a tool. When I hear someone say woke, I'm like, oh, this person doesn't want to talk anymore. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? This person. Maybe that's kind of the point. This though. person doesn't like what they're hearing. This mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, it's an excuse to say, you know, my opinion isn't valid, but it's really, I mean, it started out like a good word, Ryan. It was about people right. who, who give a shit. You want to be woke. Right? Yeah. You like, want to be uh, relevant or up to speed or understand it. Yeah. But but this, I think, speaks to the bigger conversation as well about what's happened to the state of discourse and the fact that I don't, do you like, do you see a lot of people, I see it happening like in, in individual circles, people with their see friends. I, I think what you said, like a lot of this stuff is happening online and We're, then you go talk to regular everyday people you see on the street and a lot of it, it, it it's 10 times it, it's 10 times amplified online right yeah it, it's, yeah well online is a, is a whole different thing it's not real life it's not real life <laughs> it doesn't mean that some perspectives aren't valid oh, no but it's not real life it's, it's a great place to keep up with what's going on in the world uh, it's not always the most valid you know <laughs> resource uh for news but uh 
yeah, things just get amplified so much online, and then you, you can't see the person, right? When you look someone in the eye, it's it's a lot it's a lot different. It is, and I think it's important to just remember the humanity of all of yeah. this. Like it it seems a little kumbaya to say things like we're all in this together, but it's true. Yeah, what's it's wrong with true. being woke? What's wrong yeah. with understanding issues, being empathetic? You know. Let's say putting enlightened. On someone else's let's, shoes. Let's, just, let's just take that word out of the vernacular completely and say enlightened. Who wouldn't want to be enlightened? People always used to say to me, so you, you call yourself a progressive. And I don't use that word anymore. I don't. Uh, I mean, I use the word not to describe myself, but I used to when I would say a progressive conservative. It seemed to me yeah. to be a good fit for where I thought that my values or my political priorities laid. Small P, small mm-hmm. C. And uh, and well, then and then I would always say to people, they say, oh, well, why do you consider yourself a progressive? I'd say, what do you want to be a regressive? Like <laughs> well, if there's obvious, if there's right? one of two choices, which one do you want to be? It's it's obvious. I don't think you need to say it anymore. If you're not progressing, like like what are you doing? You're just yeah. standing in one place. You know? Yeah, <laughs> we welcome your comments. Uh, I love that John's chiming in. We want you to do the same thing. Maybe you'll hear this this weekend. Maybe you'll hear this a week from now or a month from now. Talk at Ryan Jesperson is where you can get in touch with the show. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you, whatever your vision for your outdoor space, they will execute it with precise attention to detail. We're talking full service landscaping from excavation all the way through to the finished product. The majority of your landscape is handled by their team, and then whatever they're not handling, they have strong relationships with the skilled trades for any additional construction needs. What does that mean? It means that you don't become a subcontractor. It means that you don't have to general contract your build. Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping have it covered for you, and they don't leave the project until you are completely satisfied. You can check out their portfolio, the work they've done, their satisfied customers sharing their photos online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And I wanted to share this personal photo with you. If you're listening on the podcast, I'll describe for you. This is my sweet nephew, Jove. Jove is visiting us from Vancouver this weekend. And yesterday he was absolutely delighted when Uncle Ryan got the green light to give him his very first Buster Bar. Now it was the layers of fudge, the peanuts, the chocolate dip that he couldn't believe it was his mom, Lindsay's, marveling at the soft-serve Dairy Queen ice cream that had everybody recognizing the beauty that is the Buster Bar. You can find these at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. The John Hicks recommendation at the Dairy Queens of Northwest (laughs) Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Johnny! Add a little sauce to a uh, poolside punch. That's what I'd tell you to do. The twisty, misty slush. (laughs) Every Friday, our friends at Local Environmental give us a chance to blow off a little steam. To say what we think, in some circumstances, to say what's not being said, what maybe needs to be said. It's a tradition we call Trash Talk! All right, so this week I had some folks ask for, no, 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 demand insight into why I might block somebody or several people on Twitter. It feels like a good time to remind everybody how this all works. Nobody is obligated to give you access to their social media. You are not entitled to the privilege of reading somebody's posts, enjoying their personal photos, or learning more about what makes them tick. Without debate, every individual has the right to choose the extent to which they participate in social media, including what they post, who they follow, or who follows them. Nobody owes you an explanation as to why they've withdrawn their consent for you to access their account. 
There are many reasons why somebody may ignore, mute, or block people, lock down their own account, or even burn it all down. Perhaps they're tired of being agitated, antagonized, harassed, bullied, misrepresented, plagued, provoked, badgered, hounded, pestered, or heckled. Perhaps they're done with you hijacking their posts. Perhaps they're saying no to bad faith arguments or locust-style attacks. Maybe they just feel like it. Maybe they're having a tough day. Maybe they're having a great day. Maybe it's for their mental health. Maybe it's just for kicks. All that matters is nobody owes you jack squat. When you're a public-facing person who hears from hundreds of people every day, hitting the block button is the cheapest form of therapy. Heck, I'd probably block more people if I didn't already have them muted and off my radar. Don't be offended, and please don't be angry. It's not you, it's me. Actually, no, it is you. Still, though, there's more to life than Twitter, and there's certainly more to productive discourse than whatever you call what happens on that hell site. So, to all the folks I've blocked before, go for a walk, get yourself some fresh air, and maybe we'll have a chance to chat in person sometime, where I guarantee you won't say the things to my face that you throw in my face online. That is real talk for real life, which is all that really matters. Have a great long weekend, everybody, and we'll see you back here live on Tuesday morning. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.